Okay. Good evening and welcome to the September 7th, 2022 hybrid meeting of the San Francisco Board of Appeals. President Rick Swig will be the presiding officer tonight and he is joined by Vice President Jose Lopez who is attending remotely and Commissioner John Trasvina. We expect Commissioner Lemberg shortly. Let me just double check my sound here. One moment. Okay, also present is Deputy City Attorney Brad Russi, who will provide the board with any needed legal advice. At the controls is the board's legal assistant, Alec Longley, and I'm Julie Rosenberg, the board's executive director. We will also be joined by representatives from the city departments that will be presenting before the board this evening. Tina Tam, Deputy Zoning Administrator, representing the Planning Department, and Matthew Green, Acting Chief Building Inspector with the Department of Building Inspection. The board meeting guidelines are as follows. The board requests that you turn off or silence all phones and other electronic devices so they will not disturb the proceedings. No eating or drinking in the hearing room. The rules of presentation are as follows. Appellants, permit holders, and department respondents each are given seven minutes to present their case and three minutes for rebuttal. People affiliated with these parties must include their comments within these seven or three minute periods. Members of the public who are not affiliated with the parties have up to three minutes each to address the board and no rebuttal. Mr. Longway, our legal assistant, will give you a verbal warning 30 seconds before your time is up. Since the board has a vacancy, three votes are required to grant an appeal or to modify a permit or determination. If you have questions about requesting a rehearing, the board rules or hearing schedules, please email board staff at boardofappeals.sfgov.org. Now, public access and participation are of paramount importance to the board. SFGov TV is broadcasting and streaming this hearing live, and we will have the ability to receive public comment for each item on today's agenda. SFGov TV is also providing closed captioning for this meeting. To watch the hearing on TV, go to SFGov TV cable channel 78. Please note that it will be rebroadcast on Fridays at 4 p.m. on channel 26. A link to the live stream is found on the homepage of our website at sfgov.org forward slash BOA. Now, public comment can be provided in three ways. One, in person. Two, via Zoom. Go to our website and click on the Zoom link. Or three, by telephone. Call 1-669-900-6833 and enter webinar ID 898-3139-6903. And again, SFGov TV is broadcasting and streaming the phone number and access instructions across the bottom of the screen if you're watching the live stream or broadcast. To block your phone number when calling in, first dial star 67, then the phone number. Listen for the public comment portion for your item to be called and dial star 9, which is the equivalent of raising your hand so that we know you want to speak. You will be brought into the hearing when it is your turn. You may have to dial star 6 to unmute yourself. You will have three minutes and our legal assistant will provide you with a verbal warning before your time is up. Please note that there's a delay between the live proceedings and what is broadcast and live streamed on TV and the internet. Therefore, it is very important that people calling in reduce or turn off the volume on their TVs or computers, otherwise there's interference with the meeting. If any of the participants or attendees on Zoom need a disability accommodation or technical assistance, you can make a request in the chat function to Alec Longway, the board's legal assistant, or send an email to boardofappeals.sfgov.org. Now the chat function cannot be used to provide public comment or opinions. Please note that we'll take public comment first from those members of the public who are physically present in the hearing room. Now we will swear in or affirm all those who intend to testify. Please note that any member of the public may speak without taking an oath pursuant to their rights under the Sunshine Ordinance. If you intend to testify at any of tonight's proceedings and wish to have the board give your testimony evidentiary weight, raise your right hand and say I do after you've been sworn in or affirmed. Do you swear or affirm that the testimony you're about to give will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? 
Okay, thank you. If you are a participant and you're not speaking, please put your Zoom speaker on mute. So item number one is general public comment. This is an opportunity for anyone who'd like to speak on a matter within the board's jurisdiction, but that is not on tonight's calendar. Is there anyone here for general public comment? Please raise your hand. Okay, I see one member, Seth Miller. Please go ahead. Seth Miller, you're here for general public comment. Okay, Seth Miller, I see that your hand was raised. Are you here to speak on an item that is not on tonight's agenda? Uh, no, I'm here to speak on the agenda now. Okay, so we'll call you later. Right now we're on general public comment. Thank you. Is there anyone here for general public comment? Okay, I'm not seeing anybody, so we will move on to item number two, Commissioner Comments and Questions. Yep. Um, I just like to take the opportunity to acknowledge the uh, departure of our esteemed legal counsel, Brad Russey. Um, he, he's really the backbone, one of the backbones of, of this organization, uh, providing uh, our guidance uh, to keep us on track, keep us on the rails so we don't uh, um, Abuse our privilege, I guess, but just you know, we're always we're always a group that that likes to keep it legal, and uh, and and we preach that. And Brad very much helps us, uh, has helped us to um, stay organized, stayed informed, and um, and make sure that we're providing uh, the best opinions for the for the public. And uh, I'd like to thank him very much for his service, and wish him uh, the best on the continuation of his. Uh, career with the city. He's not leaving the city. He's just, we're just losing him. So thank you very much, Brad. We d deeply appreciate it. Thank you. Commissioner Trezvina. Thank you. I'd like to join President Swig and also um, expressing my appreciation for you, Brad, and, and your work, although our work obviously has been much shorter uh, than, than with President Swig. Uh, I've been very impressed with the timeliness, the quality, uh, and the responsiveness of your, of, of, your, of your legal presentations to us. And I speak perhaps a little bit biased. I was a, I am an alumnus of the city attorney's office during the George Agnost era. Uh, but from Mr. Agnost to Ms. Rennie to Mr. Herrera, now to your current, uh, our current city attorney, uh, we as a, as a city body are very well served and, and your, your service here uh, is no exception. So I know you're going to go on to uh, continue to serve members of commissions, uh, making sure that we continue to comply with the law in your next position there. Uh, but I just want to express my gratitude and appreciation and, and wish you well in your next steps. Thank you. We will now hear from Vice President Lopez. Yeah, thanks. I also want to echo uh, the, those sentiments and, and just express my appreciation. Uh, Brad, your, your advice has always been uh, very much on point. Uh, it's, not, it's not easy, you know, sometimes to, to have to give advice on the fly uh, as, as issues and, and facts and, and points of law are, are being raised in real time in these hearings. And so, you know, as a fellow attorney, you know, I've been very, uh, you know, empathetic <laughs> with with that position, and and you, you've carried it out extremely well. 
And, and I really hope that, uh, that the folks in, in your next assignment uh, appreciate how fortunate they are to have uh, your service and your advice. And we're gonna miss you and hope we can stay in touch. Thanks so much. Thank you, Commissioner Lemberg. welcome. And we are on commissioner comments and questions and uh, the, your fellow commissioners have been uh, talking and acknowledging Brad Russie's contribution to the board. I don't know if you wanna add anything. I most certainly do. Thank you, Julie. Um, I, I, of course, want to echo uh, I'm a new addition to the board, and yet uh, I've had quite a few questions for you, and I very much appreciate your presence here. Um, having attorneys in the city attorney's office who are devoted to ethics and uh, the order of the law is extremely important, and uh, I'm very grateful for your service to this body and uh, to the city generally, and uh, you will certainly be missed. Thank you. Thank you. Is there any public? Oh, I'm sorry. We do have someone else who wants to speak. <laughs> okay, this mic's not working. Okay. Um, I'll just say thank you, commissioners. Uh, I've really enjoyed this assignment. It's been six years. I've had the opportunity to work with many different commissioners and also with two excellent executive directors of the board, Julie, and before her, Cynthia Goldstein. It's an assignment that I've enjoyed probably as much or more than all of my others, and I'm, I'm definitely gonna miss coming here on Wednesday nights and getting to work with you all. And thank you for your kind words, I appreciate it. Thank you, is there any public comment on this item? Please raise your hand. Okay, I don't see any hands raised. So we will move on to item number three, the adoption of the minutes. Commissioners before you for discussion of possible adoption are the minutes of the August 24th, 2022 meeting. And I wanna let you know that Commissioner Lemberg reached out to me about a correction to a pronoun used in item three, commissioner comments and questions found on page two. The draft minutes state, Commissioner Lemberg echoed the comments of his fellow commissioners and it should read Commissioner Lemberg echoed the words of their fellow commissioners. So that's his requested amendment. Any other amendments or comments? Um, commissioners, anybody want to make a motion? I'd like to move to approve the minutes of the August 24th meeting as uh, corrected by Commissioner Lumberg. Okay, thank you. On Commissioner Tresviner's motion, Vice President Lopez? Aye. Commissioner Lumberg? President Swig. Aye. So that motion carries four to zero and the minutes are adopted as amended by Commissioner Lindbergh. Okay, so we are now moving on to items 4A and 4B. These are appeal numbers 22-057 and 22-058. Linda Zider versus Department of Building Inspection, Planning Department Approval, and Ron Summers versus Department of Building Inspection, Planning Department Approval. Subject property, 1335 Bay Street. Appealing the issuance on July 22nd, 2022 to Vasiliki Peritos of an alteration permit. Erect new two-story type 5A R3 structure at rear for one ADU per 162-16 per California government code section 658-52.2. No work to front R2 four unit structure on lot. Permit number 2022-0207-7451. And we will hear from uh, Ms. Zider's attorney first. Welcome, you have seven minutes. Go ahead. Uh, the overhead is working, it's just the screen's not on, but you can see it.
So it's it's actually appearing on the commissioner screens. Yeah. Okay. I call well, it, I call maintenance to will it work eventually. <laughs> yeah, their maintenance is on their way. Do you want to pause and wait for the maintenance people to come? I, I can I can get started. It was just sort of a set the tone thing. So if it's going to come on shortly, well, we don't know, so <laughs> I, I, we don't want okay. to impact your presentation. So we we can wait. Okay. They're coming right now, Alex. Also, several of the mics don't sound like they're on. You, yeah. you, your mics are not on. Yeah, um, sounds like. And I don't think this one's on. I can hear no, you well. It, yeah, you're okay. on. Everybody's was on except uh, Alex's, and he didn't turn it on. Well, yeah, that was my fault. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we, I, I, we can see your image just for the record. Yeah. But the public can't, right? But so the public, the public can't. Cannot. Uh, can they see this on Zoom? The SFCFT just said they're. The maintenance crew is coming up. If you want to take a break, that's up to you. Or continue. I'm, we're fine with a break if, that, if you want to wait. I mean, this is your presentation, so. It'll, it'll probably only be a couple of minutes. They're coming right now. Let's take five. Okay, we're gonna take five minutes. Thanks for your patience. Okay. TV, San Francisco Government Television.
Okay, welcome back to the September 7th, 2022 meeting of the San Francisco Board of Appeals. We are on items 4A and 4B, and we are going to hear from the attorney for the appellant for appeal number 22-057. Mr. Williams, welcome, you have seven minutes. Thank you very much. Um, good evening, President Swig, uh, members of the board. Steve Williams on behalf of one of the appellants, Linda Zider. Uh, Ms. Zider lives adjacent to the subject property and directly to the west, and she's here tonight. Uh, she's lived there with her family for more than 40 years. So I'm gonna start with a big picture for this case. Um, during the past one and one half years, the sponsor, uh, who does not live at the site, has filed five different permit applications for construction work um, that re requires building into the, the minimum rear yard. Uh, November 2020, uh, they filed a permit for an addition and alteration of the subject cottage, uh, not to tear it down and rebuild it. I attached that summary of that permit uh, to the brief as Exhibit 1. Uh, a few months later, in June of 2021, they filed permit number two, which was to demolish demolish and rebuild a rear yard solarium or greenhouse. It's a mostly glass structure, uh, which was now reconstructed as a solid new building extension. Uh, exhibit number five to the brief is the summary of that permit. <clears throat> After the permit to actually alter and rehabilitate the cottage was approved, the sponsor switched gears in February of this year, in uh, 2022, and they filed uh, a first permit number three to demolish that cottage, and permit number four to build a uh, new ADU in the rear yard. And then finally, uh, permit number five was filed in uh, March of this year, 2022, to construct a deck into the rear yard at the third floor on top of the new structure that had previously been the glass solarium, and an appeal of that permit application is coming before this board in about three weeks. Uh, the summary of that permit is attached as Exhibit 6. For all of these five permits and the planned construction in this rear yard, there has been zero public outreach, zero. The sponsors held no formal pre-application meeting, um, no informal sit-downs with their neighbors, no heads up to a neighbor over a fence, and in fact, when asked about the construction activity in and around the cottage, Ms. Zider was told that the cottage would be used as storage only, and this is while these permits were actually pending. The subject cottage is in the rear yard, and <clears throat> this is the crucial issue for this board, this is an unauthorized unit as defined by the planning code. That is a fact. And there's no doubt about that fact. Planning Code Section 317B13 defines unauthorized unit as a room or rooms built without permits used as a separate and distinct living or sleeping space independent from residential units on the same property. And independent means the space has independent access, does not require entering one of the other residential units on the property, or two, there's no open or visual connection to another residential unit on the property for that unit. Again, that's satisfied here. Uh, the neighbors confirm that the cottage has been occupied. The sponsors themselves have now confirmed by declaration that the cottage has at least been used as a sleeping space 
And that brings the cottage firmly within the definition of an unauthorized unit. These unauthorized units are considered a resource to be protected. If you serve on this board, at least in part, to protect affordable housing, now's your chance. The general plan and the planning code at section 317A make clear that the unauthorized units as part of the existing housing stock are the greatest source of rental and financially accessible residential units and a public hearing for a conditional use authorization is required prior to the approval of any permit that might remove existing housing, as this subject permit certainly would. The department was not told that this unauthorized unit had previously been used as an independent living or sleeping space. Planning was told this is a garden shed. So let's look at the form used by planning uh, to make the determination of whether an unauthorized unit is there. This is the UDU, uh, Unauthorized Dwelling Unit Checklist. It's part of the research that planning does to determine if an unauthorized unit is, is present. Uh, as you can see from the form, the first uh, question is what I just explained to the board. Uh, does this meeting space meet the physical independence as described in Planning Code Section 317B13? Yes. Uh, the department agreed with my analysis under this section for 317 for independent access. Question two, has the space been used as a separate and distinct living space? This is where planning was provided misinformation. Under section 317B13, the question is whether the cottage has been used as a separate and distinct or sleeping space independent from residential units on the same property. And that's a quote from the statute. The form is marked no, but the true answer is yes. The neighbors and the sponsor have now confirmed the cottage is used as a separate independent space. Planning was asking the right questions, but they were provided incorrect information. A completely different kind of analysis would have and should have occurred if accurate information had been provided. At a minimum, this is the analysis that must be done now. Question is, is the existing unauthorized unit financially viable for rehabilitation and legalization through the DBI process and through the planning process? Uh, these processes uh, have long been in place now uh, to legalize units and they've been in place at least since uh, 2014 at DBI and since 2016 at the planning department. And this project must now be reviewed to see if that is a viable option. Please grant the appeal and save this naturally affordable housing. And use your common sense, judge for yourself. Look at the exterior photos um, of this so-called garden shed. Uh, it certainly looks residential, um, as the neighbors have testified. And as the, uh, the sponsors have actually confirmed, it has residential doors, it has residential windows. And look at the interior photos provided by the project sponsor. Uh, it's a, a finished surfaces. Uh, they have drywall, they have sinks, uh, you know, it, it's uh, a living space. And the confirmation from the project sponsors now that indeed this has been used, as the neighbor said it has, over the years uh, for sleeping, for living, separate from all the other units on this lot, confirms that it is an unauthorized unit uh, within the meaning of Section 317. Thank you very much, and I'm available to answer any questions you might have. Thank you. We have a question from President Swig. Sure. Um, <clears throat> Councilor, I, I absolutely agree. 
that this is gonna come down to whether this is an independent unit or not, um, or a, a unit which does not, um, and we and I'm gonna ask our, our departing city attorney some questions related to this, but if, if this is a unit that has been used for, uh, for residency, uh, but I wanna qualify that residency, then uh, it, it seems that you are correct. Um, or you might be correct. I don't know, I'm still thinking about it. Um, but um, wh what is, you use the phrase independent unit. What is your definition of independent unit? I'm, I'm interested, I'm gonna ask the same of the city attorney, and then I'm gonna ask the same uh, of planning. What is your definition of independent unit? Um, <clears throat> that's supplied by the code. Um, and that, has, that box has already been checked off um, by the planning department. Um, that's found at, at section uh, 317B13. Um, independence means one, the space has independent access that doesn't require entering through another residential unit uh, on the property, and there's no open or visual connection to another residential unit on the property. And obviously with a rear yard cottage, it's completely separate. It's, it's not attached to any of the other units. It's not dependent on the other units. What was stumbling, what I stumbled upon, and and I agree with your your uh, your observation in in those terms. What I stumbled upon it was it were truly an independent unit in that it was rented separately and um, had a different tenant uh, than any other part of the remainder remaining part of the building. And with with that, I'd like to shift my question to Mr. Russi and to to help me with the definition of independent unit and whether an independent unit is something that has to that has a history of being rented separately or may have been used as a as a residential unit as an adjunct to an existing uh, address and therefore is le less from my view less independent or does it matter uh, commissioner I, I would actually like to defer answering these questions until we hear from the planning and Department and DBI, I know that okay. there's one issue that was raised in the appellant's brief was whether this um, cottage is even, uh, the, the square footage of the cottage is sufficient to even constitute a separate unit. I mm -hmm. think it's below what is required for a minimum unit, it's 123 square feet. Right. And so it might be good to hear from the departments first on their view as to whether or not that they viewed this as a, an authorized dwelling unit when they did their evaluation. Great, uh, I'll, I still look forward to a legal view your legal view as well, but I think that's good advice, and I'll, I'll let the burden be placed on, on planning. Okay, we have a question from Commissioner Trezvino. Thank you, and thank you, Mr. Williams, for, for your presentation. Um, since I've been here, I have seen a lot of the cases that come before us um, as issues of communication, sometimes between the city and the permit holders, sometimes between the city and the neighbors, sometimes permit holders and neighbors, and it's apparent from from the materials that uh, have been provided, there has there doesn't seem to be much communication going on in in, in the neighborhood. Um, and you've, you've stated that there, there, there was no public outreach. I wanted to know what, if for this particular uh, proceeding, uh, how much public, what public outreach is required and under what uh, 
authorization is that requirement uh, put in place? Well, <clears throat> for um, I believe that there was a pre-application meeting required at least for the deck permit. Um, and it, it's a common sense thing. If you're going to build a new two-story building in the rear yard of your, of your house, you should mention it to your neighbors. And that didn't happen here. Uh, the neighbors were shocked when this was issued. Ms. Zider was actually at her vacation home in Tahoe when she called me up and said, you know, what am I going to do? This is happening. Uh, nobody, and, I, and if you've looked at the correspondence been sent into the board, the whole neighborhood was shocked and surprised. Um, by this sudden appearance of, you know, reconstruction of the rear uh, yard uh, building and the proposed ADU. Well, and I, 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 with all respect, I've read, I've read the materials, but what I, what I haven't heard or what is not crystal clear is what the legal requirement is for public outreach, and if there is a legal requirement, how much? I, you know, I, I can't answer that as far as the ADU. I can answer it for the, the elevated deck permit. We're, not, they, we're uh, not talking about the elevated deck permit, sir. What's that? We're, that's, we're not talking about that. Yeah, right, and, and I, I can't answer that as far as the ADU. I, I assume that the, the planning department recommends public and neighborhood outreach. I'm assuming that. Um, if they don't, then they should. Okay. And, uh, and second, you, you've expressed your view that this has been used as a sleeping space and you cite the declaration from the, from the property owner permit holder. Uh, is there under 317B, is there, a, is there a threshold or can, if somebody sleeps there overnight, if they get tired and they want to go or they go for an afternoon and sleep in, sleep in the shed, does that make it a sleeping space or is there some threshold? Because it doesn't seem like, while well, the, the declaration that you're reciting, it seems that occasional use by a family member, does that, is, that, is that all that's needed uh, to, to qualify it as a sleeping space? You know, that, that issue has not been fleshed out. Um, I looked for interpretations uh, in the planning code. That's not been fleshed out. But, um, you know, certainly there's been more than a, a family member sleeping in the garden shed. Uh, there were, uh, you know, and then we're just going by their declaration. The neighbors are saying people have lived there. And the owners are saying, no, people just slept there, you know, occasionally we had relatives sleep there. But we also had other people sleep there when they were job hunting. That's also in the declaration. And if you, if you look at the statute, the statute simply says a distinct, uh, distinct and separate living or sleeping space. And looking at the photos, that's what this is. Okay. And, and, and finally, our deputy city attorney alluded to the issue of... Uh of the requisite amount of space for rental housing. Do you have any view of, as to whether this shed is uh, large enough to be considered uh, part of the stock of uh, rent control housing? It, that's, the test is not whether or not it meets the code now. The test is, is whether it's been used as an unauthorized unit, regardless of its code legality, because the, the programs are in place to legalize it. And in fact, that's what they did with their first permit. It was reviewed and approved for an alteration. And so uh, the programs are there. If, if, you, if you knocked you know, everything out that wasn't code compliant now, you'd lose thousands of units all over the city. 
And so um, I think it, there's a lower threshold than, than what they've, they've set at 150 square feet. Um, I looked at the DBI materials for legalizing these units, and it says 120 square feet, uh, which this meets. Um, but that's not the test. The, the test is not, is this a fully up-to-code legalized unit? The code is, the code says clearly, has it ever been used for sleeping, independent, separate, and distinct from the other units? Thank you. Thank you. We have a question from Commissioner Lemberg. Thank you. Um, my, my question is actually fairly simple, and that is, does the appellant or any of the other neighbors have any evidence to contradict what is in the permit holder's sworn declaration that the shed has not been used as a sleeping space for 10 years or more uh, in the past. Is there any evidence to refute that, uh, to refute that assertion? Has there been any tenant living in that shed in the recent past? To tell you the truth, I don't know. Um, I'm assuming the neighbors sent in letters uh, talking about that, and hopefully you'll hear from them tonight uh, you heard testimony tonight uh, making clear, um, you know, when it was occupied, how often it was occupied, that sort of thing. The reason I'm asking, just just so you know, is, uh, you know, you had brought up two points. One is the neighborhood notification, and unfortunately, the law just doesn't support that. There is, you know, what do I think there should have to be a neighborhood notification? Sure, but that's not what's, what's in front of us, and that's not actually the requirement under the law. Um, and the other part is uh, that you argued is uh, preservation of affordable housing, but there's no, you know, if no one's living in this unit, it's not really affordable housing at all. And in fact, the project being proposed is a new ADU, which would be affordable housing, a fully permitted unit. So um, I, I definitely, I want to encourage any neighbors speaking in public comment tonight to please provide any evidence that they may have of people actually living in this back unit within the last 10 years. Um, and the more recent, the better. But, uh, you know, I, I certainly have read the briefs and, um, and, uh, and I'll ask similar questions of the permit holder, but I, I definitely would like to hear any evidence of that if there is such evidence. Yeah, and, and as I said, the neighbors, um, I think, will we'll make public comment tonight in, in that regard. And, and I, I would point out that this is more, what's there currently rehabilitated is going to be more affordable than anything new. And we're not really talking about affordable housing. If you looked at my additional exhibits, 17 and 18, they're renting these units from 3,500 to 4,700 apiece. And so the ADU is probably going to go in that range. But you're, you're, when you just, what you're referring to is the actual apartments in the building, right? Not a backyard ADU. Is that right. right? Yes. Okay. So presumably the smaller unit in the backyard would be rented for less than a main unit in the main building, right? I mean, I'm just guessing here, but... Maybe. Maybe not. Okay. So. Thank you. Thank you. We will now hear from Ron Summers, the appellant for appeal number 22-058. Welcome, Mr. Summers. You have seven minutes. Um... Thank you, Julie, and I appreciate being on, on tonight on Zoom. Okay, I had Mr. Earlier, Mr. Summers, please. we don't see yes. you on video. I think your video is off. Okay. I don't know if that was intentional. There you go. Okay, yes, thank you. Yes, I, I had submitted a brief earlier, uh, but I was late by a matter of four or five hours. So what I'm about to say is already in writing, and I'd be delighted if 
It can be circulated if it's of interest. Uh, my main point is that I'm worried very much about the precedent that will be set here if this permit goes forward in its current setup. And, and allow me to explain. Uh, right now, uh, if, if, if we're able to see in 1335 Bay Street the development of a two-story ADU, my worry is that every neighbor in that block will, if not now, in the future, be wondering why don't I do the same thing. And I know that we all want to be supporting affordable housing, but the domino effect of how that could destroy the very activities and, 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 and style of, of living that, that planners and zoning professionals for the last hundred years have been trying to protect and uphold will be disappearing. Uh, when you think of the, the main reasons for that rear yard, uh, that rear courtyard area that's bounded by Bay Street and by Octavia Street, and by Francisco Street and Goff Street, the planners and the zoning professionals from 100 years back had a very clear idea of what they were trying to create. They were trying to create multifamily housing that would provide lots of living space, but also the opportunity in the rear yard area, in that large courtyard that I've just described, bounded by those four streets, to have quality of life, open space, and quiet enjoyment. And if this property in 1335 Bay Street is allowed to come up, expanding the footprint of the garden shed, rising from one story to two stories, that sets a very concerning precedent. And that would mean that other neighbors over time, maybe not immediately, but downstream two, three, four, five years, 10 years when we're all gone, uh, they will all be wondering, why don't I put an ADU in my backyard just like that one I could use that extra income to augment my social security, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and so I just want to make the point that I think we should be cautious on this first ADU in this very special block. And, and what I'm suggesting is why can't it be one story, for example, like the garden shed had been? Why can't it be a footprint similar to the garden shed maybe slightly larger, but not as large as being proposed presently. And why can't it be a kitchenette and a studio rather than a full one-bedroom lofted apartment with a full kitchen? In other words, if we go with the maximalist approach on this first ADU for this very special block in the Marina neighborhood, not only will it forever change that block for perpetuity, but it will be a precedent that will spark similar developments throughout the marina and, and throughout the city itself. So my thought is, first ADU in this block, let's keep it to one story, let's keep it to a studio and a kitchenette, let's keep the footprint small, and let's not go the maximalist approach, which is what I see here before us. The, the professionals and the planners that were involved in protecting that block and designing that block with 12 unit buildings in each corner, a 12-unit building on each of the middle of the streets, interspersed with marina flats all the way around. They had an idea what they were trying to accomplish and what, what you've all been protecting for the last 100 years. My thought is, let's go easy on this first ADU and make certain that we don't set a precedent that will have unintended consequences 
with a domino effect of these ADUs springing up all throughout the courtyard, not just for this courtyard, but for all the properties in the marina neighborhood. Thank you. Okay, thank you. I don't see any questions at this time, so we will now hear from Scott Emblidge, the attorney for the permit holder. Welcome, Mr. Emblidge. You have 14 minutes since you're responding to two appeals. Thank you very much. Uh, good afternoon or almost evening, uh, board members. Scott Emblidge on behalf of the, the permit holder. So um, let's start with what Mr. Summers just uh, advocated for. Um, Five years ago, 10 years ago, that would be an argument that we'd be having about building an ADU in a rear yard, applying certain design criteria and uh, should this go through discretionary review. The legislature has taken that away. Uh, the legislature has made a decision. Uh, you may agree with it, you may disagree with the legislature's decision, but the legislature's decision is if an ADU meets certain criteria, which this one undeniably does, it is no longer subject to discretionary review or variances or conditional use authorization. Um, and this, there is no debate here on that point, that this complies with the state requirements for the ADU, it doesn't exceed them, and therefore, there is no authority for the city to second guess uh, what the legislature has said. Um, again, we could debate that policy, but it wouldn't do us any good because that policy debate's already happened in Sacramento and it's come out the way it's come out. Um, uh, Mr. Williams says there have been five permits here. Um, as you, I think, realize, three of those permits have nothing to do with the ADU. Um, there have been two permits for the ADU. One was to um, uh, not demolish, but reconstruct the ADU. But after working with planning for a long, long time, planning said, you know what, the work you're doing here um, really requires a demolition and construction permit. So at planning's request, we pulled the, the first permit and applied for the second permit, which is the permit in front of you. Um, public outreach. Uh, as Commissioner Lemberg pointed out, public outreach is not required. Um, somebody called me a couple of months ago, I would have said, hey, why don't you do some public outreach even if it's not required? But the bottom line is, it is not required. This is um, essentially you know, uh, the equivalent of an over-the-counter permit that doesn't require public outreach. Uh, now, this issue about a dwelling unit, there's, the, I'm sorry, this issue about an unauthorized unit has left out that word, dwelling. Right, UDU, unauthorized dwelling unit. Well, what is a dwelling unit? It's defined in the planning code by reference to the building code. And the building code says uh, a dwelling unit has to be at least 150 square feet. And President Swig, frankly, I, 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 I disagree that if, if this 123 square foot, if somebody slept out there, that could make it a dwelling unit. At my house, I built a fort for my, for my kids. It's, I think, you know, if I, if I think about it, it's probably about 90 square feet. And my kids have slept in that fort. That doesn't make it a dwelling unit. I, it, this, this shed is what it is. It's a, a storage shed, and there is no evidence uh, to the contrary that it has been used as some sort of uh, uh, income-generating property and not even been inhabited for the last 10 years. 
So under the law, it's not a dwelling unit. But what if it was? What if it was a dwelling unit? Then what they're arguing is, well, this should have gone through the conditional use process. There should have been a conditional use application for the removal of a dwelling unit and the reconstruction of a new unit. But let's look at state law. State law says, A permit application for an accessory dwelling unit shall be considered and approved ministerially without regard to a local ordinance regulating the issuance of variances or special use permits. So even if it was a dwelling unit, which under no stretch of the imagination it was, um, we still aren't in a place where the board has jurisdiction to deny this permit. It's, it's a permit that complies with state law and uh, in, in every, uh, and, and this board's jurisdiction is therefore extremely limited. Uh, and I do want to point out that, as I tried to point out in the, briefly in the brief, that even if um, we were five years ago and there was not the state legislation, this is a pretty sensitively designed ADU. It is a, a small footprint. It's just a simple loft apartment. Uh, it is... Uh, at, at 16 feet in height, you know, with just eight, uh, eight feet ceilings, and it has uh, uh, obscured glass on the second floor to protect the privacy of neighbors. And even though they say it's going to cast a shadow, we presented the only evidence you have in front of you about shadow impact, which is that there's none. Uh, there's a little slice of shadow in the rear yard of a neighboring building because adjacent to to this uh, ADU is a four-story apartment building that already casts shadow. So even if we were in the DR world, which we're not, uh, this is a sensitively designed unit that should be approved. Uh, I think everything else is laid out in the brief. It's really an issue of law, uh, and I'm happy to answer any questions. Oh, and uh, the architect is on Zoom, uh, and the permit holder is here with me if you have questions. Okay, thank you. Uh, President Swig has a question. Uh, thank you, Mr. Amblich. I, I understand the law, and our city attorney did a great job this week sending us a, a summary and reminding us of what the law is, and you represented it um, very well. Thank you very much. Uh, the the um, What I am looking for, and you, you heard me ask the question, what is an independent unit, and we're going to talk to planning and I'm going to ask that question again. Um, just as a clarification, um, there were there was there were represented representations in the brief, there were photos in the brief that would lead one to believe that that this uh, unit was used for housing under oath, uh, under oath has has anybody ever paid rent to use this house ever? I, I do not know. Okay. Um, I, I think that's an important piece, or maybe it's not, and we'll get that, we'll, we'll get that opinion from planning. We'll get that opinion from the, uh, the, the city attorney, because uh, I, I think it's really going to boil down to unless, I mean, it's a legal call. You're absolutely right. I'm not arguing with you. But, but if it was used as an unauthorized dwelling unit, 
and, um, and rent was paid for that unauthorized dwelling unit, then it may, I don't know if it will, I'm gonna ask the city attorney, I'm gonna ask planning for their opinion, because I'm not qualified, uh, then, then we have a, a, a may, may, may have, could have a different uh, set of circumstances. So that's what I'm wrestling with, and that's why I wanna know, was rent ever paid for the use of this unit as a dwelling unit? And if you can find out from your client and you're gonna have rebuttal, I would love to get the answer uh, post haste. Others probably in, in public comment, I'm just anticipating I have ESPN, you know, uh, that there, there may be commentary to the effect that people think that, but I wanna know under oath whether rent was ever paid for this unit. I understood President Swig, but um, right now it's not, um, a habitable dwelling unit. And so if we leave it as is, there will not be a dwelling unit. Uh, I'm, I'm, I, I'm not even gonna argue with you uh, or, or challenge you because I'm looking for the opinion of planning as to what, what is an independent unit, whether this qualified at any point as a dwelling unit, and I'm gonna look for the same opinion from uh, our, our city attorney because they know better than I do. So I have no, no position to argue with you at this point. So thank you very much. Thank you. We do have a question from Commissioner Trezvina. No, thank, thank you, Mr. Amblich, for your presentation. I guess it's the other side of the coin of, of the questions that uh, President Swig was asking. You're turning arguably an uninhabited or uninhabitable unit into a dwelling unit, correct? Absolutely. Right. That's the point. Right, and it's, so it's gonna be larger than what the, the neighbors currently see uh, on the property. Yes, it will, it, it will be, the, the footprint won't be significantly larger, but there will be, it will be taller. Is, is the, is how, how, how much of the, how much of the rear, Mr. Summers was talking about the, the, historic, the, the, the attractive nature of the area where he calls, he calls it, I think, a model block or a very special block. Here's, I, I'm an Ingleside guy. I, I don't know the marina all that well. Uh, I don't know why this block is more special than other blocks, but perhaps, perhaps it is. And whether that's relevant to this discussion or not, I don't know. Um, but uh, people are accustomed to the way it's been for perhaps a century. How much of the rear yard on this property remains uh, after the after the change, there's there is still a substantial rear yard. Um, I could try, or perhaps our architect could try to give you a square footage or a percentage, um, but there is still a substantial rear yard even with uh, the ADU. Could without without having to resort to any of the drawings, could could somebody give me a ballpark estimate of what what that remaining rear yard uh, amount is? Um, Mr. Shatara, is Mr. Shatara uh, available and can he answer that question? Mr. Shatara, I don't see him present. Let me look, see if he's an attendee. Oh yes, he, hold on, I'm going to move him to the panelist position. He was an attendee.
for some reason he's not moving over, but Mr. Shatara, can you, can you speak, please? You need to unmute yourself. He is here. Okay, Mr. Shatara, we, you're still muted. Commissioner uh, Trezvina, do you, exhibit three, or I'm sorry, exhibit one to the brief are the plans. And if you look at sheet A1.0, that, uh, show, that uh, shows you the existing site plan and the proposed site plan. I'm on exhibit uh, quite, one. Quite a privilege. Can we, can we check the, the podium mic? I think it's, it's not working as well. Is that better? Yeah, that's better. Just a little bit closer. I can try to put this on the overhead if you'd like, uh, but I'm not an architect and so I'm not, it looks like there is 16 feet, three inches from the rear of the building to the entrance to the ADU. In addition, there are four foot setbacks on each side of the ADU and the rear yard is 25 feet wide. Um, I wish I was better at math to give you a square footage. That, 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 that's helpful, but it, it sounds like the, the, the proposed ADU is gonna take up a substantial amount of the rear yard. It is going to take up, um, as far as its footprint, slightly, uh, maybe 40% more than the existing shed. Well, you've got the deck. And Pardon me? The deck is there, correct? Yeah, the, the deck is there. Is it, it's an existing condition. Right, right. So then you've got 16 feet 3 inches from the deck to where you enter the ADU. Um, the ADU is not flush against the fence like the shed is because state law requires a four-foot setback on each side. Am I helping? Yes. The, the architect is present, but for some reason he can't unmute himself. I sent him a message. I'm not sure what the issue is. Should we call him? Well, perhaps without, without going into this in too much depth, um, if I could, when planning is here, perhaps they can help me get in my mind whether, how, whether, we still, whether there's still a rear yard to speak of. Uh, after this is built. Okay. Thank you. Okay, thank you. So we will now hear from the planning department. Welcome, Deputy Zoning Administrator Tam. You have 14 minutes. Thank you. Good evening, President Swig, Vice President Lopez, and members of the board. I'm Tina Tam, Deputy Zoning Administrator. 
1335 Bay Street contains two buildings on the property located in the RM1 zoning district and the 40X Heidenburg district. The structure at the front is three stories tall and contains four dwelling units. The detached structure at the rear is one story tall and measures approximately 123 square feet in size. According to the site survey, this detached structure is located on the southeast corner of the property, containing just one room and a three-quarter bath. This structure sits almost entirely on the rear and east side property lines. While the structure at the front was constructed in 1924, it is unclear when the structure at the rear was constructed. However, based upon historic aerial photographs, the structure at the rear appears to exist as far back as 1938. The permit before you is to demolish the existing detached structure at the rear and construct a new detached accessory dwelling unit, ADU, in the same general location on the lot. The new detached ADU will follow the criteria set forth under the state ADU program. Per the plan submitted by the architect, the new ADU will be 17 feet in width, 18 feet in depth, and 16 feet in height. Measuring uh, 443 square feet in size, the new ADU will contain a combo living and dining room with a full kitchen and a bathroom on the ground floor and a bedroom on the second floor. The appellants are Linda Zeider and Ron Somers, and they reside on the, the duplex directly west of the subject property. And according to um, the appellants, their concerns are the new ADU will cause, one, light and privacy impact to their property, two, violate the previous conditions on the property that limits any expansion into the required rear yard, and three, demolishing the existing, quote-unquote, affordable dwelling unit would trigger a conditional use authorization from the Planning Commission. While the Planning Department acknowledges there are some impacts to the immediate neighbors as a result of the new ADU, the Department believes the impacts to light and privacy will be minimal to the neighbors. The new ADU complies with the following provisions of the state ADU program. One, size. The new ADU will be approximately 443 square feet and will not exceed 850 square feet, which is the limit for a studio and a one-bedroom ADU. Two, setback. The new ADU will be set back four feet from the side and rear property lines. And three, height. The new ADU will be 16 feet tall as measured from the existing grade. As outlined in the state ADU program, the review process for new ADU is ministerial. Because the new ADU meets the criteria of the state ADU program, no neighborhood notification, no variance, no discretionary review, and no conditional use is required. The permit has 60 days to review the permit, and the permit is not subject to the California Environmental Quality Act, CEQA. It's also important to note there is no subjective design review for state ADUs unless it pertains to a property that is listed on the California Register of Historical Resources. And this property is not listed on this, on this register. In terms of the appellant's argument that the new ADU violates the prior conditions on the property, limiting the further expansion into the required yard, the department will note there is such condition. However, this condition was recorded 
for 1335 Bay Street as part of two variances that were granted in 1994 and 1997 for the structure at the front of the property and does not reflect the existence of state law that was adopted in 2020 allowing for detached ADUs in the rear yard without a variance. In cases like this, the city attorney has a way in and confirmed that state law prohibits the department from requiring new entitlements, like a variance, to modify or remove a conditions of approval. State law governing ADU states, quote, no local ordinance, policy, or regulation shall be the basis for the delay or denial of a building permit or a use permitted under the subdivision. Government Code Section 65852.2. The appellant also stated that in the appeal that another similar or nearly identical project at 239 Chattanooga Street triggered a variance and to be consistent the department should also require 1335 Bay Street to seek and justify a very variance as well. To clarify 1335 Bay and 239 Chattanooga may be similar in that they are both proposing state ADU projects. They are however not the same or identical. The scope of work for 23 Chattanooga Street also consists of building multi-story decks and stairs at the rear of an existing building in addition to adding an ADU at the basement level. As you heard, the ADU at 1335 Bay Street is a detached ADU and will not alter any part of the building at the front. And as you heard from the appellant's representative, there is an appeal for a permit for work for the building at the front, and that hearing is scheduled in about two weeks for September 28th. And because they are separate permits, we are keeping the issues between these structures, front and back, or front and rear, separate. Lastly, the appellant believes the existing structure at the rear was used as a dwelling unit. Based upon the size, about 123 square feet, and the age, more than 80 feet, 80 years old, the appellant believes this is a rent controlled or a naturally affordable unit that needs to be maintained. And if this unit is to be demolished, then a conditional use authorization is required. As I mentioned earlier in my presentation, we don't know when the structure was constructed. It appears in our historic aerial photographs as early as 1938, but it's not in our, any of our historic Sanborn maps building permit records, and it's not listed as a dwelling unit per the tax assessor's records. The assigned planner who worked on this permit did check with rent board records and did confirm in the voter's registration and did not find this, the structure of the rare used as a rental unit. The structure is extremely small. It's only 123 feet in size, contains only one room and a three-quarter bath, and there doesn't appear to be any kitchen or cooking facilities. But even if the appellant were correct in, in that the structure at the rear was used as a separate dwelling unit, perhaps by a family member, a friend, a coworker, it doesn't mean the unit is legal. According to the ZA's interpretation of the planning code, if the unit is not legal, one can remove without a CU so long as there is a replacement for it. In this case, the structure at the rear will be replaced by a legal dwelling unit that will be equipped with a full kitchen to meet the state and DBI's definition of a dwelling unit. 
The planning department believes the new ADU is modest in size. According to the proposed plan, the new ADU is set back 30 feet from the appellant's property. Most of the windows for the new ADU will be facing the back of the structure at the front. There are some small number of windows on the west and east elevations, and most of them are on the ground floor, and thereby minimizing any potentials for any impacts to privacy. In conclusion, the permit complies with the state ADU program. It's modest in size and is, and is designed in a manner that has minimal impacts to the neighbors. The department asks that you deny the appeal and uphold the issuance of the permit on the basis that the permit was reviewed and issued properly by the city. Okay, thank you. We have a, several questions. First, from Commissioner Trezvina. Thank you. Ms. Tam, I've always learned so much from your presentations. I thank you. And what I've learned from this is a couple of things is that we we have very little role here uh, on 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 this on this on this matter. There, and CEQA doesn't apply. There's no conditional use requirement, no design review, no discretionary review, um, and and no no requirement uh, for really much consultation or information with with the neighbors on on, on this uh, under under the rules that, that govern uh, this this kind of uh, this kind of development um, at the same time if I understand correctly the proposed ADU is three and a half times the size of the um, current uh, shed that's there and getting back to my interest in the what what impact is there to the rear yard and is there a rear yard left? I I do acknowledge that the, the entire lot size is 3438 and the this this will be now taking up 443. I don't know the size of the uh, front front building, um, but you mentioned the question I have is about. Uh, if, if I understand correctly, you're saying that the 1993 or 1997 variance uh, prohibited encroachment by the front building onto the rear yard, but the but there is no issue as to encroachment of the small shed onto the rear yard. Is that is that correct? Thank you for the question. That's correct. The the the. The new ADU um, meets the criteria in terms of its setback, um, its height, and its size, um, and therefore can be in the required rear yard. It can be bigger. But if it were, but if it was an, a, an expansion of the front building, it wouldn't it wouldn't be allowed. Um, I would have to check on that. Um, I think it's okay. I think as long as it meets those criteria that you just I just mentioned, it mm -hmm. could be it could be okay. Okay, I, 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 I get my 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 understanding of it was through was based on what you had said earlier about the about the variance back in the 1990s that there was that there would be a prohibition on the front unit, but not this unit, and that. If it came from the front building, it wouldn't be allowed, but there, those requirements are not placed on the back building. I would need to check with the, um, the state EDU program to see what provisions there are, if they are not detached, 
like the one that's being proposed right now? And if it's attached, what does that mean in terms of its setback? Okay. okay. Thank you. Thank you. President Swig? Yeah, you're not going to give me any answer on this. Um, but I, in, because, because you can't, because you just told me. But um, I looked at, when I looked at the documents, when the variance was issued, uh, my interpretation of it was an NSR. NSR was, you can't build any more into the rear yard. Pure and simple. It didn't say front building. It didn't say back building. It said no more encroachment on the year. In the, and then when you come to me and you tell me, uh, well, I don't know, that doesn't help. I don't think we can, we can I, I, don't, I don't think, I don't, I'm very uncomfortable with the, these answers. We, we need to rely on planning to be uh, clear, distinctive, and understanding, or we can't make a decision. And, and do you understand my, my point of view? There was an NSR. It said no more encroachment in the backyard. It didn't say back building. It didn't say front building. And, and that kind of screws the, the whole thing up for me. Does it for you? Or are you willing to just say, I don't know, and impact the neighborhood? Thank you. That's a really good question. Yeah, of course um, it is. <laughs> I try my best because no, I, I really to, care. I, I it's my neighborhood. By the way, mm -hmm. I live in the marina, full disclosure. I live in the, the, the marina, Mr. Scherzvina. It is a special neighborhood. It is, it is exemplified by its open space and mid-block uh, opportunities, except when you live on my block, which is kind of an odd-shaped block. But... Um, uh, but you know it, it, it that that is a fair statement the the open space and mid block open space is very important to the marina um, but th that that 's not impacting my or biasing my point of view just an answering your question um, but what i what what is hard for me i we ought to make a decision on behalf of the neighborhood of the block. And to say, well, I don't know, I'm sorry, I, I, is 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 difficult when I see that is was there an NSR? You know, should we just postpone decision tonight and give you a chance to find out whether that NSR was an NSR for the for the site or not? Well, well let me clarify because maybe I didn't I didn't state it correctly. I thought the question was, what happens if the ADU was attached to the building at the front? What would the parameters parameters be under the state ADU program. I wanted to go back and check to make sure that I'm going to tell you the right information before I answer that question. However, the question that you have in terms of, yes, there was an NSR on the property. What does that mean for any future expansion, including work or expansion into the required bar yard? I'm saying that's a really good question. That's a question that I did ask for the ask to the project planner and her manager. And um, and her response was that this was completely vetted by the ZA and the city attorney, um, and that um, that in the case where there is state law provisions and local state law pretty much trumps um, local law in terms of um, needing a new entitlement, like a variance um, when it comes to the state ADU program, as long as the state as long as the proposal meets the state ADU program in terms of its height, its size, and its setback. There isn't any restrictions like there would be for what, this case what of NSR. What good is an NSR for the for What the good project? is an NSR? We've we've had NSRs as part of our activities here. NSR to me said that's it, babe. It's permanent. 
You can't do it. You really want to build that extension? Uh, okay, if you want to build the extension, we're putting an NSR on it. And that means it's the end of the story, all right? That's, uh, to me... Let me just make sure I correct, correct you on that. We do release and resend NSR quite often. Um, in this case, when there's state law that is more current and pretty much, I, wanna, I don't want to use the word supersede, but is basically superseding local ordinance, then we let the state law provisions go through. Okay, so an NSR, it doesn't matter whether it's an NSR or not, it, all bets are off because the state changes the, the law. Okay, um, uh, second question. Um, my understanding, and of course I've only sat here for six or seven years, so how good is that, uh, is that when a building expands, gets, expands the footprint, that a local, uh, that neighborhood, uh, there's a requirement to let the neighbors know that you're expanding the footprint. Why in this case, it, with this ADU expanding the footprint, just like any other house might be expanding a footprint, that's okay. How come there's no local notification required uh, when, when the footprint is expanded? What's the difference here? I don't understand. Again, is that the state issue? So you can do anything you want. The state is telling the local government, this is what you have to follow. Yeah. We're not here to debate whether we agree that's no, a good I, idea or uh, not. I can't do that. Listen, but, you come but, to some of our telephone conversations. Complies with it, and there's, there could be possibly new amendments coming up soon. Um, but if it complies with it, whatever it's been adopted, we're required to follow it. All right. So, let let so in in review, um, the NSR out the window, right? It's or, okay to say that, yes. That particular condition on the NSR. There might be other conditions. Okay. The I don't want to go in and just say throw the whole uh, entire. And I don't know enough about what other. All right. So the NSR, the NSR on that condition is out the window. All right. Or it's 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 being um, it's being um, put to the side because of the state law provision. All right. That's thrown out the window in my book. It doesn't matter anymore. Uh, the, 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 the fact that the building envelope is being expanded is out the window, again, overruled by state law. Okay. Um, the fact that it may have been occupied in 1941 for six months by a, a guy in the Navy who was looking for a job and paid $2 a day for it, uh, that doesn't count any either because it, that doesn't count either. So in, in, in fact, state, the issues related to state law is going to prevent this appeal from being uh, accepted. I mean, that's where we're, we're down to, right? Right, just to clarify, if, if, if one were to remove a, an authorized dwelling unit, an yeah. illegal unit, yeah. and not replace it with a, with a new legal unit, yeah. in this case, the state ADU, right. then yes, you would need to go through some sort of process with planning. Okay. Well, I, I mean, I, I got to act like I'm the appellant, and I got to act like I'm the project sponsor all in one. That's my, that's my, my act tonight. You know, because we have to look at both sides. That's why I'm being uh, semi-antagonistic to you, because I want to make sure that, that the, the appellant is seeing that all the questions are being asked on her behalf. And, and, and on the contrary, where the, uh, uh, the project sponsor is, uh, is shown to be protected by the new state statutes. It's just the way it is. We come across it all the time. All right. Thanks for the education.
Thank you. Commissioner Lemberg has a question. I was gonna let Brad go first if you still wanted to say something. I mean, in response to some of your questions, Commissioner Swig, I just wanted to clarify that this, this state law, like some of the other ones we've dealt with recently, like SB 35, were efforts by the state to create more housing where they viewed local restrictions as barriers to the creation of that housing. And so laws like this have preemptive effect over certain local requirements. And I think uh, Ms. Tam said earlier in her presentation that with respect to the NSR, the state law preempted the application of that uh, condition to this particular project. And with respect to the notice requirement, there's a provision of this state law that says that where um, these permits need to be ministerially approved, there's a shot clock for when the city has to time to review it. And I actually don't think the city has been complying with that shot clock. But the reason that we don't have neighborhood notice is because it would delay the process even more. And so there's a specific exception to section 311 that says there is no neighborhood notice for these types of projects. I, 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 I understand and accept your point of view, which is why I'm trying to drag it out of everybody <laughs> because because if you're living in the neighborhood and you've seen something exist for approximately 100 years, my house was built in 1926, uh, same dist district, um, then it's important that the neighbors understand why these changes are being enabled. And that's why I'm being a little aggressive tonight to drag all this information out because neighbors have got, have got to understand what uh, what they have been subjected to by state legislation, whether they like it or not, whether I like it or not. So thank you for your answers. I appreciate it. And as always, we'll miss you, as I said earlier. Commissioner Lindbergh. Thank you. Um, I do have a question for you, Ms. Tam, but I want to uh, just tack on a little bit to what uh, President Swig was saying, and that is uh, merely that this is a really good example of why um, state laws regarding um, regarding local zone, uh, the, the ability of local governments to implement or control their own zoning uh, policies are a really big deal and why um, why people pay really big attention to this because it can cause you know issues like we're seeing here today. Um, my question for you, Ms. Tam, is um, Mr. Williams at the beginning had uh, showed a, um, I, I guess it was a questionnaire or something like that, um, and the question was uh, regarding whether it was a separate and distinct living space, and he showed that it had, was checked no, um, and he, uh, the appellant alleged that it should have been checked yes, and so my question is, if it had been checked yes, would it have made any difference in the planning department's analysis or decision uh, in, in this particular project? Thank you. Um, I understand he believes it's a dwelling unit, and, and we're, we're saying we're, we don't have any evidence or um, support for that. But if it was, and it was used for more than 30 days, which is um, considered uh, not short-term, um, it would not change how the planning department reviewed this um, permit um, because it's meeting the state ADU program and it's um, replacing the unit with a legal unit. Okay, so just for sake of example, if that unit were currently occupied by a long-term tenant, would it still not make a difference? No. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Trezvenia. 
Yes, I just want to be very brief, and uh, thank you for your answers earlier, and I just wanted to clarify that President Swig's question was my question. And my, my interest was in encroachment to the rear yard. It didn't, didn't matter whether it was by the back building or the front building. Uh, and and that, that was my, point, my point was that we were having encroachment here, and it seemed like it would be all right if it was from one place and not from the other. And uh, that also is an, is an anomaly. Perhaps it's caused by state law also. Uh, but, but I wanted to, to get a better understanding of that. So you, you've given me the answer. Thank you. Thank you. President Swig, anything further? No. Okay, thank you. We'll now hear from the Department of Building Inspection. Uh, good evening, President Swig, Vice President Lopez, and Commissioners. I'm Matthew Green. I'm representing the Department of Building Inspection tonight. Um, the, the DBI issues are fairly simple. Uh, permit application 2022-0207-7451 to erect a new two-story ADU at the rear of the lot was filed on February 7th, 2022, along with a companion permit application to demolish the existing structure at the rear of the lot. After approval by the planning department, the application was routed to DBI plan check on February 25th, 2022, and approved on June 1st, 2022. After review by all the other relevant city departments, the application was issued on July 22, 2022. Um, a review of, just for your edification, a review of DVI records, including the housing inspection records going back several decades, did not review, reveal any evidence of the rear structure being used as a dwelling unit. Um, some definitions that you might find interesting. The San Francisco uh, Building Code states that the minimum size of a new efficiency unit is 220 square feet. Um, the San Francisco Housing Code also has space and occupancy standards for existing uh, buildings, including every dwelling unit shall have one room not less than 120 square feet. Every room used for both cooking and living shall be not less than 144 square feet. Um, each bedroom should not be less than 70 square feet. So I, I don't believe the existing structure meets those um, definitions. And then you're also asking what the definition of a dwelling unit is. San Francisco Housing Code defines any building or portion thereof which contains living facilities, including provisions for sleeping, eating, cooking, and sanitation for not more than one family. So if they meet those criteria and the minimum standards I just read, we would consider it a dwelling unit. Um, DBI believes that this permit was reviewed and approved properly and uh, recommends that you deny the appeal and uphold the permit. I'm available for any questions you may have. Any questions? No? Okay, thank you. Thank you. We will now move on to public comment. I see a few hands raised on Zoom. So we'll hear from Seth Miller first. Mr. Miller, please go ahead. Hi, thank you to the commission uh, for giving a chance for some public comment. Um, first, I've uh, been a resident at 1341 Bay, renting there for 10 years. I started in September of 2012. And um, I uh, let's say that the garden space is really one of the most beautiful um, garden spaces. And I, it's, it's brought me great joy. And uh, in talking with the neighbors, I know the neighbors appreciate both the garden that Linda keeps here, as well as the gardens in the backyards. Um, it is, uh, it's really a beautiful feature of the, the residential units around here, um, especially in this block. Uh, as far as I know, there was no notice um, by Spiros or his wife to any of the neighbors, certainly not to me. Um, as far as I know, all other AG units have been done within the existing footprints of the buildings themselves. 
Um, and I think it would be a tragedy to lose the backyards to start having encroachment. And I believe that um, that Spiros has um, built, extended his garage and maybe his building into the backyard. He's already chipping away at the backyard. And from some of the discussion I've heard here tonight, there seems to have been some kind of movement within San Francisco to preserve these gardens that are in the backs of the buildings um, for both the great public use, for the, for the public use, for the, for the family use, the families there, the lifestyles, the kids, all of that. Uh, and I think building a 16-foot structure would impair um, and expanding the footprint of the structure would impair the backyards that exist here today and would set a precedent that would probably encourage others to do the same. And once it goes, it goes, and you won't be able to get it back. And that would be a big loss, I think, to these neighborhoods. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's what I have to say. So I hope you guys consider the long-term view on this and not just the short-term rights or benefits of my neighbor, um, but the long-term vision of what these neighborhoods are meant to be and the family use and the quiet and the peace and, and the greenery that's back there. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We'll now hear from Colin, user number one. There's not a phone number. Uh, please go ahead and unmute yourself. You may need to s press star six. If you called in and you have your hand raised, press star six. Okay, go ahead. Uh, hello, do you hear me? Yes, I can. Please can go you ahead. Hear me? Yes, I can hear you. We can hear you. Okay. I'm going, to turn, I'm going to turn my volume down. Uh, thank you, commissioners, for uh, hearing me. My name is Kyle Lewis. I am a resident of the marina. I am one yard over from this uh, certain location uh, on Cough Street. So our backyard T-bones essentially into this one. We have seen a lot of stuff going on back there probably for about, I've lived in the property probably for 14 years now and we are a second floor unit as well as a garden. So we can kind of see across the entire backyard. And the pictures don't cheat. Like I haven't seen all the documents that you have, but it is a very unique design to this, I'll say probably six square block area of the marina. I believe one of the commissioners described it as the mid block open space. Uh, it's very unique to this particular six blocks. You can see it from Google. I looked at a Google map while I was sitting here. Uh, open space is something that is very unique to this area. Some of the other people on the phone will probably know when I say this. There was a beautiful pine tree back here many years ago that used to be inhabited by the parrots that fly from Telegraph Hill into the palm trees and everything else around here. And when we lost that, it was a big, big deal because it was a beautiful pine tree. Went down for the right reason. I understand it. I'm very, very, very concerned about what I'm now hearing has been going on at 1335. This may not be the right forum for all of that, but I will say that having lived here now for 14 years, and in particular in the past, I'd say three years, there's been a lot of stuff going on at that property uh, that has been causing me some concerns, and now I'm very concerned. Now, I realize that you have limitations as a planning commission in light of the ADU law, and I know that sometimes your ability to take uh, objective factors only into consideration, maybe not subjective as much. But I will say that adding a 16-foot structure in the middle of this open space really pushes beyond the subjective and into the objectively unreasonable. I do not believe that this was an appropriate a discretionary or ministerial act in any way. Uh, my biggest concern is this idea that may have been brought up about the city 
shot clock, it went over my head a little bit. But if this thing was not reviewed quick enough, or something happened that something should have gotten out to the neighbors, because we received no notice, I went and looked at my file. 30 seconds. I only have the destruction permit. Then there's something that, happened that went wrong, because if the city or somebody fell down and didn't review this this fast enough so that we would have gotten word as neighbors that this was going out, you are now holding the citizens responsible for the failure of government. I know there were some comments about state laws and all that stuff. I just want to make it known that this was something we had no idea about. This is a very unique area. And adding a structure that is 300% size or 300% more one creates problems. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. We will now hear from Sid Mit Mitra. Please go ahead. Hey guys, uh, my name is Sid Mitra. I live in uh, on Goff Street, 323 Goff Street. I've been living here, I own the residence uh, for about six years and I've been living in the marina for about 15 years. Um, as, as Kyle mentioned, and as so many of my neighbors have told me, um, this came as a complete shock and surprise to us when we found out that a two-story structure was being permitted uh, to be built literally in the middle of our backyards. Now, uh, you guys have mentioned that there was no requirement for permitting, and there is probably an issue with state law versus local zoning issues, and I understand that you may have limited jurisdiction or discretion in how you adjudicate this, but this simply fails to pass the common sense test that someone can build in what is in the middle of our shared open space, a two-story structure abutting um, fences and um, encroaching in our open space, encroaching in the greenery that I look at when I look into my backyard and um, potentially creating some privacy issues. Um, there was no attempt by the owners of 1335 Bay to reach out to any of us uh, or have any kind of meaningful discussions there's also a history of getting uh, variances by this property, as well as unpermitted construction for which uh, permits were issued retroactively. I'm not an expert in, in <laughs> zoning laws and things like that, but it seems to me that uh, someone with knowledge of the system is deliberately using loopholes and working the system to the detriment of everybody in the neighborhood. And I hope someone has the ability to step up and say uh, this doesn't make sense and this needs to be stopped. Okay, thank you. We will now hear from Jer Ray Mansfield. Please go ahead. Hello, um, thank you very much to everyone. This has been a beautiful, wonderful presentation to watch and good arguments on either side. However, I, do, I am not a resident of the area and I must go on record as stating that, but I've spent a tremendous amount of time over many years at the address next door um, of Lynn Elliott Ziders. I must say that I've seen her children play in this yard, her grandchildren play in this yard. I have witnessed the open space plan and enjoyed that and found refuge there, especially during these COVID times and times when we have all been um, a little restricted to our movements. And I just can't help but agree with everyone that I see and I'm surprised there are not more neighbors online, which is why I raised my hand because I think perhaps they don't really know what's going on. And I could only envision as I was standing there this past week that if every home on that block used the green space that was so brilliantly planned by the city planners, 
to be green space and to remain green space, that if everybody built on this property a similar unit, in the first place, the congestion would be terrible. I keep thinking too, what would you do in case of an emergency? And we do know San Francisco does have emergencies occasionally. How the people would get in and out safely is, is a big problem also. Um, I just see that you know people will want to build higher fences and, and the precedent that it's setting is just appalling to me. And I truly believe that people need places to live and I'm in complete agreement with a one-story building there if that's what was intended. But um, the two stories is a big objection, I think, for everyone that lives around there. And I just wanted to go on record as not having any interest in invested real estate properties there, just as a concerned citizen. So thank you for hearing me out. Thank you. Is there any further public comment? Please raise your hand. Okay, I don't see any further public comments, so we will move on to rebuttal. Or is there someone here? Yeah. Okay, please come forward. Um, President Swig and um, commissioners, my name is Jeannie Elliott. I'm uh, a relative of Linda Zider, and I've spent 40 years visiting the home that we're speaking of. And the picture I'd like to paint is that when you look out the back, you see all yard, it's all open space. And um, as you keep that picture in your mind, I'd like to add to the picture and say, I'm also a San Francisco resident. <clears throat> and in our neighborhood near Ingleside, we have an agreement that the neighbors came up with years and years ago that, that mirrors what happened in all the neighborhoods to maintain open space. And the open space is aesthetic, of course. It's gorgeous to look out in all of our neighborhoods. Uh, the second thing is environmentally it's really good because uh, the birds and um, all kinds of animals come through. Maybe we don't want the raccoons and the skunks, but um, this is important for the health of the community. And um, as we let this go, uh, I think there's a problem. There's a problem with inviting people to stay in the city, to support the city. Here we are, generations of people living here. Um, and you hear people don't want to be in the city because there's so many restrictions when we go to build or we go to uh, modernize our home. There's restriction after restriction. And then we have examples of things just sliding under, suddenly happening um, without uh, due diligence, due conver uh, uh, consideration for all the impact. And the impact is important, not just personally for our families, uh, but for our climate and for the way we want to live in the city. So I hope that we can uh, step out of this thing of saying, well, it's a state law, because cities do come up with ways to protect themselves. And maybe uh, the commission could be thinking about that. You know, how could we look at this so we somehow protect our city and have beautiful neighbors, uh, excuse me, yards and open space? Thank you. Thank you. Is there any further public comment? Please raise your hand. Okay, seeing none, we will move on to rebuttal. We will hear from Mr. Williams. Thank you. You have th three minutes. 
Thank you, uh, President Swig, members of the board. Steve Williams again. Um, <clears throat> there's been a lot of issues brought up, obviously. First of all, let me let me touch on uh, the rear yard issue and the uh, uh, impacts on the, the front building. If I could have the overhead. Um, first of all, there, there are changes being made in the front building. Um, so I don't know if, if planning is, is, uh, is paying any attention to those, but an egress path is, has been constructed. This is from the, the, the approved plans, um, shows actual construction in the front building in order to provide egress for this. And you can see the rear yard. The rear yard is virtually zero. Uh, this is a deck in between the two buildings, and so there's a fringe of green around it. Uh, the other neighboring yards all uh, uh, supply a, a fully compliant um, uh, code-sensitive rear yard of 45%. Um, I, something that has come into my head listening to the discussion is state law can't possibly be allowed to tear down affordable housing to promote a policy of developing affordable housing. That makes no sense. And that's what you heard from planning, is that it wouldn't make any difference that if this was occupied. I mean, that's ridiculous. And, and, and as I said before, whatever's constructed there, as with new construction anywhere in the city, it's going to cost more to rent it or buy it than what exists. Variances are not a local ordinance. Variances are a product of state law. And so it, it, it created by enabling legislation from the government code. And, and to say that, that this, the new legislation overrides previous state legislation, um, I don't see that written into the, into the, the ADU legislation, that, that variances are to be disregarded and set aside, or that NSRs are to be disregarded and set aside, because uh, variances are certain, certainly and exclusively a product of state law. Um, it does not comply with state law to provide misinformation, and misinformation was provided with this application. They didn't tell the, the, the planning department, oh, people have slept there in the past. They didn't say, uh, some of our relatives slept there and people that we know that we work with that were looking for jobs also slept there and stayed there. They didn't say that. They said nobody ever slept there. They said it was a garden shed. And now, once they're caught, they come forward with a declaration saying, oh, well, they only slept there a little bit. And so an ADU can't be granted on misinformation, and that's what happened here. And also there was nothing from planning saying that they said, forget rehabilitation, demo this, uh, we can't approve it. If you look at the notes in Exhibit A in the summary of that first permit, it was approved and ready to go. And that's time. Thank you. This okay. appeal should be granted. Thank you. We will now hear from Mr. Summers. Mr. Summers, you have three minutes. I just, I, I just want to reiterate the, the points that were made about the possibility of what's going to happen next. I mean, if this thing is cleared at two stories with larger envelope, um, you're going to see other neighbors um, in a domino-like effect where these things are going to pop up in not, not just our neighborhood, but the entire city is going to be populated with two-story ADU units that have state uh, precedent over all other rules, regulations, zoning. In, in fact, we know that this 
is not compliant with the city zoning. This ADU is not compliant with the city zoning. What I'm hearing is from the planning is that that doesn't matter. State law matters. State law overrides city zoning. Wow. Um, we are now powerless to the state. Thank you. Okay, thank you. We will now hear from Mr. Amblidge. Mr. Amblidge, you have six minutes. Uh, uh, President Swig, I've asked um, Ms. Peritos, and she says there no, there has not been a paid. It was not a paid rental to these folks that stayed there in the past. Um, so it was. Okay, I'm sorry. This is the this is not audience. You can't hear. Okay. Is that better? I'm not sure we is hear it. What should I do? How about if I just talk louder? Okay, okay. Um, what I said was uh, it has not been uh, uh, rented for money in the, in the past. And it has, as we've stated, not been inhabited for 10 or 12 years. Um, and the variances we're talking about, let's remember, these are variances from 25 years ago. But um, people are making really good impassioned arguments about mid-block open space. I get it. I'm a, I'm a land use attorney and I've been, I've represented neighbors trying to preserve mid-block mid open space. But the world has changed um, and state law has, uh, for better or worse, I could share my personal opinion about it with you, but it has usurped local control over local, over zoning uh, and, and planning regulations in certain cases. And whether that's good or bad, project sponsors have the right to rely on the law and the, the right to propose a project, have it go through planning and building and be told, yes, this is a compliant project and yes, you can do that. And this isn't a, a, a developer, this is somebody who raised their family in this building um, for, you know, for, for decades and is just trying to add an affordable unit, uh, dwelling unit in the backyard. If they wanted to max out profit, they could have added an 800 square foot unit in the backyard. There's nothing any of us could have done about it because that's what state law authorizes. But they're doing something that is smaller, more sensitive, um, and is providing a housing unit where no housing unit exists. Um, on, the, on the ADU issue about what if it was in the building or, 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 or added to the existing apartment building, um, yes, it could, the, for the same reasons, the same reasons of state law preemption, it could be expanded into the rear yard. Dimensions would be different because state law has different requirements for detached structures and attached ADUs, but um, that, again, state law would trump it. And Mr. Trisvina, I heard you say that you were an alum of the city attorney's office, so was I. I was there from 88 to 98. And I worked uh, repeatedly with members of the Board of Supervisors on legislation that I had to tell them, you can't do this because it's preempted. Uh, I used to work with Supervisor Hallinan, I'm gonna really date myself, Supervisors Hallinan, Supervisor Shelley about gun control regulation, back when we could do gun control. And 
there were restrictions of what local jurisdictions could do because state law preempted it. I worked as supervisor on the auto to craft legislation to prevent the city doing business with Burma uh, and their repressive re regime in Burma. But when it came to, the, to trying to prevent ships coming from Burma into the, into the port of San Francisco, I had to say, you can't do it. Federal law preempts it. So that's the situation we're here in. It's, it's um, I, I, I think it's probably unprecedented in the history of California that the state legislature has decided to get involved in local land use controls, but it has. And so we're creating a housing unit. It's compliant with state law. It's not an outrageous structure. It's sensitively designed. It's smaller than what state law would permit. And for all those reasons, we urge you to uphold uh, no, to deny the appeal and uphold the permit. Okay, thank you. We will now hear from the planning department. Ms. Tam, you have six minutes. Thank you, Tina Tam for the planning department. I'm gonna go ahead and put up um, a couple of slides. The first one has to do with, I think, a question from Commissioner Trasvina, and it has to do with the difference between um, an AU, a state ADU, that's attached versus detached. Okay, here we go. Can um, we zoom in? Alec, can you help her, please? Thank you. Thank you. This is good. Thank you. Um, and looking at the difference between um, the attached, which is to the left, and detached, which is to the right, in terms of size, they're both the same. 850 maximum for a studio and one bedroom, um, and 1,000 square feet if it's two bedroom. The height, again, 16 feet, are the same between the attach and detach. And in, in terms of the setback, um, go ahead and read that. Um, if the ADU is located within the existing living area or an existing accessory structure, or the ADU replaces the existing structure and is located in the same location and constructed in the same dimension, then the structure can be, um, can occur. But if the ADU does not comply, in this case for 1335, it doesn't, um, then a setback of four feet would be required, and that four feet would be required for both detached and attached. So your question about, well, if I'm adding to the back of my of this building at the front, would the requirements be the same? Yes. With the conditions of approval from the previous variance, NSR somehow change that? No. The next slide I'm gonna put up is um, a site plan. I'm gonna zoom out, I think. We go. This is the site plan of the existing condition, which is at the bottom, and the proposed condition at the top. You have the subject property and the existing detached structure at the back. That's 123 square feet in size. And then you have the proposed 443 square feet, two-story detached ADU. Um, in terms of the setback between the new structure and the existing structure, I think it's about 16 feet or so. And the distance between the new ADU and the appellant's property, it's about 30 feet or so. 
happy to answer any questions. Okay, I don't see any questions at this time. Thank you. We'll now hear from DBI. Um, I'd just like to uh, um, address a statement that was made earlier that this permit authorizes work in the front building. Um, that's not true. It clearly says that the only work authorizes the ADU, the uh, exit path and the ground floor for the ADU. Uh, and it's clearly any other work will require a separate permit. Um, the requirement is that if you're going to enter through a garage, or you go, if a required exit is going to go through a garage, it has to have at least 10 foot wide dedicated space and the garage has to be uh, fully sprinklered. Uh, the plans show the striping on a path for a 10 foot wide and that it shows its existing sprinklers. Um, if that proves not to be the case, then they would require to get a sprinkler permit to sprinkler the garage. Um, available for any questions you may have. Thank you, I don't see any questions at this time. So commissioners, this matter is submitted. Okay, commissioners, um, I wanna call on Commissioner Lopez because he's been way too quiet tonight and we have to make him work for a living because he gets paid the big bucks. Commissioner Lopez, would you like to get us started, please? Absolutely. Um, you know, I think it's it's one of these we've had a couple of these before, where our our hands are are essentially tied uh, due to the preemptive issues, uh, preemption issues rather uh, that have been uh, flagged by a number of, of speakers throughout the evening. I think, you know, what I would say uh, is that until if and when. Uh, there's a, a change in law uh, that would allow, um, you know, local land use uh, ordinances to, um, to 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 inject uh, some additional process. Uh, that's that's the outcome that we're going to have with these uh, ADU matters. And you know, the fact is that that the way that the that the law works uh, currently. Uh, there isn't uh, public notice uh, required of public conversation. Um, what I would add is that I you know, appreciate the, the speakers from, from the neighborhood who, who came and expressed uh, their views. And I would just add, even though, you know, if you, if you put, you know, folks uh, on a spectrum uh, you know, in terms of, you know, heavy process with, with no construction and then no process with a lot of construction, you know, to be honest, I'm, I'm probably, you know, more on the light process uh, end of that spectrum. But I also think that, you know, to, if you're going to be doing something like this, um, I think the right thing to do is to talk to your neighbors and to look them in the eye and, and explain, uh, you know, what you're doing. And, and just because at the current moment, uh, the, the state law doesn't require that uh, communication, I think that's the right thing to do. Uh, you know, just being a, a neighborly uh, resident uh, here in our city. And I think the fact that we had, you know, so much uh, comment and, uh, you know, just expressions of, of concern, uh, you know, speaks to that lack of communication that I hope that that uh, it, it won't be a recurring pattern uh, with this type of activity, but you know, just given the preemption issues, I think um, you know, from my perspective, uh, I'd be uh, supportive of denying the appeal. 
Okay, uh, Commissioner Tresina. Thank you, President Swig. I um, have to say, I, I was not prepared to be as uncomfortable as I have been increasingly throughout this, uh, throughout the various presentations and testimonies. And it is absolutely nothing against any of the people who have come before us. Um, I, I respect the love of the marina. I'm not as familiar with it as other parts of town, but I suspect that uh, not the marina, but Minerva out in, out in the OMI, the people value their neighbors and their, their, their land or, or in Sunnyside or in Montcalm over in Vernal Heights, that we all do. And, and this process, uh, what makes me feel uncomfortable is uh, as, as President Swig and as, and as, this, and as the members of the, of the uh, planning DBI staff have, have made clear, this body does not have, for the city, local government, has much less power and authority over these decisions. Uh, and, and we are, that's that, and, and to echo um, Vice President Lopez, all the more reason why there may be not be a requirement for uh, neighbor notice or, 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 or public comment, but all the more reason why there should be. Um, the people here obviously who speak, uh, Ms., Mr. Miller, Ms. Elliott spoke about uh, the value that they see in the, in the mid-block open space. Uh, and, and people naturally want to protect um, their heritage of their communities. We're also obligated to protect the future of our communities. And, and we find ourselves in the situation where this board and, and, and members of local government are hard pressed to do either. Uh, so I, I hear the, the recitations of the authority that we lack, uh, not much about the authority that we have, uh, I'm, uh, my point about the, uh, the encroachment on the yard, I think it was, was, was expressed by President Swig, that it seems that while encroachment from the front building would have some restrictions, and, and as he described the NSR saying it couldn't be done, encroachment from the back building by removing it or taking down what's there and putting up something that's three and a half times the size, that seems to be... That seems to be all right these days. Uh, so we have we have a lot to confront uh, to confront uh, on on the, on this matter. As I said, I'm uncomfortable not by any of the people, not by any of the presentations, but just by the reality um, that that state law has places has places under. So uh, re reluctantly, but realistically, I, I agree with with uh, Vice President Lopez about about the uh, appropriate uh, course and the appropriate decision uh, for the for this uh, for this board commissioner thank you um, I think ultimately we're a legal body and I don't think this is a difficult legal decision to make uh, because we are given so little latitude as far as what we are able to do in this situation and for that reason I will be voting to deny the appeals. However, uh, I do have a 
pulpit as a commissioner and I intend to use it. Uh, I have one fact and one opinion to state. The fact is uh, the legislation that authorized these ADUs uh, was authored and sponsored by San Francisco-based assembly member Phil Ting. Use that information as you will. And I have my opinion, uh, which is while, that I, while I do not know anything about the permit holders' other projects going on at the uh, at this property, and although it sounds like we will be hearing about one in a few weeks, um, our, as I said earlier, our hands are pretty much tied tonight, but I do, I, I, I'm not used to being able to speak to parties directly, I'm an attorney, but I, I get to do that here. So um, I hope you've heard the pleas of your neighbors for more communication, informed design choices, and maintaining neighborhood character. Um, and I firmly believe that you can do all of those things and still make meaningful improvements to your property. Um, that's all I have to say. Thank you. Thank you. I'll just wrap up with a, a comment and then ask Commissioner Lopez, since he started, is going to come up with a, uh, a motion. Um, uh, we have gone to school tonight, big time. Um, and what we've experienced is a precedent. And we're gonna, I, I'm gonna look in my crystal, broken crystal ball again tonight and, and make a prediction that we're gonna see this precedent trigger uh, other precedents which will result in other appeals that will frustrate us and make us uncomfortable, Commissioner Trisvina, about uh, our, our feelings uh, with regard to protection of neighborhoods and, um, and other aspects. But we, I think we're experiencing a precedent tonight. Uh, we've we've learned tonight, and we've gone to school tonight on the fact that um, public notice is not required due to this state law. And I agree with my fellow commissioners that if we, when we hear uh, other appeals, uh, or uh, if anybody is anticipating doing um, doing the same type of project, uh, right, wrong, or indifferent, uh, that they do their best to communicate to their neighbors. It's just, it's good manners, folks. You gotta live next to each other and show some respect. Um, the What we've learned tonight is an NSR sometimes doesn't matter um, because state law, once again, has said, okay, tough luck. <laughs> new, new day, new sheriff, new law. Um, so that was very interesting for me. Uh, and that regardless of the fact that this was, uh, may or may not have been an independent illegal unit or not, again, doesn't matter uh, because of the state law stuff. Um, interesting education tonight. The good news is, uh, it sounds like there's gonna be one more unit of uh, high quality, hopefully high quality residential, um, residential in, in the Marina and San Francisco. That's the, that's the good news. Um, so with that, um, I would support also a motion to deny the appeal, which I anticipate will be coming from Commissioner Lopez at this moment. Commissioner Lopez? Yeah, I, uh, I move to deny the appeal and uphold the permit on the basis that it was properly issued. Okay, we do have two appeals. Vice President Lopez, so are you denying both appeals? 
Uh, deny both appeals, plural, uh, on, okay. the, on the basis that they were both properly issued. Okay, so uh, on Vice President Lopez's motion, Commissioner Trasvina? Aye. Commissioner Lemberg? Aye. President Swig? Aye. So that motion carries four to zero and the appeals are denied. And there is no right to request a rehearing for this case, so the decisions will be sent out tomorrow. Thank, thank you. Thank you for coming tonight. This concludes the hearing.